This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Amen, amen. This is the fifth week in our series. I'm going to bring it to a conclusion here this week, and we're going to receive communion on the power of expectation. I want to talk about imagination and expectation and some interesting things that I've uh, been studying about that in, in our brain. And, uh, but but <clears throat> we've been talking about that. <clears throat> we, under, we said this each week that we need to understand that if God is going to do something, I believe, he looks, watch this, for a people who have expectation. <clears throat> and that means that we should come to church not with our you know, heads down, heavy weight, because we've had a really difficult week of sinning. And, you know, and so we show up in church. I'm talking to believers now. Can I get an amen? And, and, and just it's like, all right, pastor, let me see what you got. Amen? We should come with expectation that God is good, that he's going to move, that he's going to do something today because the church is coming together. Can I get an amen? And so an atmosphere without expectations, we said, will kill your dreams. And we, said, we use this text in Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 15. It says that the people were in expectation. They were in eager expectation that the Messiah would come. You know, I was reading in the book of Esther, chapter 8, verse 16, and it talks about the whole story about how uh, Haman was out to kill and destroy the Jews. And many of you know the story and and what happened was is uh, Mordecai uh, had uh, Queen Esther there. She was just a, like a servant girl, but she was beautiful, and, and, and God used her. Uh, God used her with the king there to rescue the people. But it says something here in verse 16. It says, the Jews, this was after all of Haman's plot was all befumbled and it came upon him. What he decided to do to the Jews, that curse came upon him. And it said, the Jews had light in gladness and joy and honor. Isn't those great? Aren't those great words? Light, gladness, joy, honor, and uh, everything that was evil against the Jews came upon them. And you know what? We can claim that for us in our lives. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> what the enemy means for evil, God will turn around for our good. Are you with me? And so we said this, that you can uh, have faith without expectation, but you can't have expectation without faith, and that's true. And I just kind of ended like about reminding us that, uh, that, that, you know, Satan is perfectly fine if you remain content in your state, you don't have expectation, you don't expect things to change, and you don't, you know, stir up that faith in your imagination, you're no threat to him. But what torments the enemy, I believe this, is us being, uh, uh, having a heart of expectation, what we can be in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? What you can be in Christ is the thing he does not want to have happen. He'd rather have you keep you in your state of just kind of, as I use the illustration from New England, the Dunkin' Donuts, which is on every corner in the streets in New England, that the Dunkin' Donuts guy would go in, he'd wake up at 3.30 in the morning, he'd kind of stumble as the old ad goes, and he'd say, I gotta make the donuts, and it's all life was just making the donuts, but he didn't know that he was about making something that people loved. 
And see, the enemy does not want you to become what God has called you to be. Can I get an amen? So there's a battle. Somebody shout a battle. And we said that, you know, even have an expectation in an unrighteous situation. We talked about this as we ended last week in Genesis 11, that they were going to erect a tower, the Tower of Babel. And the Bible says in Genesis 11, the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. You know, unity is a powerful thing in a local church. Can I get an amen? It's powerful because Satan is always sowing seeds of disunity. Man, I don't know what that pastor, he didn't smile at me today. You know, one time I was in a church and I was serving as an associate and some guy walked by me and I just saw him and smiled and kind of looked down because I was, I was about to give the announcements. He was so offended that I didn't stand up and shake his hand and say something, I don't know what he wanted, that he wrote a letter to the pastor of the church. You know, Satan is always sowing seeds of disunity. Always. But here's the thing. You don't have to let them sit in your head. And if you've sensed something that the enemy starts putting on your life about something wrong, anything about God's kingdom and church, how many of you know when you show up at church, it becomes imperfect? Because you showed up. It, it show, I'm imperfect. The moment I show up, it's an imperfect church. Can I get an amen? But God uses imperfect people. Amen. So we need to be aware of that, aware of that. But Satan is terrorized by what you can be, and he doesn't want that. So going back to Genesis 11, it says they are one people. And this is what God says, now watch this, in an unrighteous situation about people before the cross, before the new covenant, this is what he says. This is only the beginning of what they will do. What if someone said that about us as a church? I like what Paul shared about the vision and, and where the church is going. And, and, and this is only the beginning of what God is going to do in our midst. Can I get an amen? It says, it's only the beginning of what they will do. And now nothing that they have imagined, nothing that they have imagined that they can do will be impossible for them. So God was saying that the thing that they imagined they can do. Do you know imagination is very important? And Satan tries to steal our imagination. He wants to cloud it with things so you don't imagine and expect great things. I like this definition of imagination. It says the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. That's what it means to imagine, to imagine. And so, you know, I will say this, that God has uh, graced me with a unique imagination. I grew up in a large Italian family out east, and, and uh, having that kind of, to some people, a little strange imagination, I would tell, I would create stories. We, I grew up with five brothers and three sisters. There was eight in the family, and, and all Italians. And, and uh, so I kind of took it on myself, being the oldest guy, that I would sit them down when they were real young, and, and I would tell stories. And some of them were in the stories they knew. And come on, how many with me, dads? Amen. And so as a sister, uh, uh, one of the brothers, I would tell stories and, and, and I'd get them going. And, and it was just crazy stuff, but I could get their emotions going. And you could see it rile them up and just by stories, telling them imagination. And I did that with my kids. I had this fictitious characters that I called Ziggy, Daisy, and Mackie. Sat Destiny and Mariah. And they knew it, but I didn't say their names, see? And so I would tell them. So one time I was telling a story to Mariah. Oh, God, it could probably make me cry. I made her cry because I was crying, telling the story. She looked over, big tears coming down. And it always ended good. You know, it always ended good. Come on, how many with me? Say amen. And so imagination. 
is, is huge. And Satan wants to, to infiltrate that, to, to not have you to imagine and to expect great things in your future to go around pessimistic your whole life. Come on, are you with me this morning? Amen. And so the greatest achievement of the human brain is its ability, ability to imagine objects that do not exist in the realm of the real. So what do you mean, Pastor? Now, it's true that most creatures are instinctively they anticipate the future, but, but none of them have the capacity to, if I could say it this way, strategically analyze it. But by distinction, when humans imagine themselves living in outer space, what do we do? We figure out a way to do it. Isn't that right? We can imagine that. And so even if it, it causes us to create 100 new technologies to make it work, just like scuba diving or you know, parachuting and flying, whatever it may be that people think, I would like to do that. We have that capacity where those in the animal kingdom, they don't have that. So God has graced us with something. All right, and so just take this, if you take a note, creative strategizing is one of the attributes that sets us apart from everything else that God has made. So if he has given you that, know that the enemy wants to attack that area of your life. Thank you for those three, mm-hmm, pastor. <laughs> this is where Satan comes in, I'm convinced. Where churches can get in a lull, where your life seems like you're just making the donuts, you know. You've ceased to dream. You've ceased to imagine great things. Well, you know, that's good, Pastor, when I was in my 20s and 30s, you know, pushing 65 right now. I've been through it all, you know. Body's not where it should be. And hey, listen, I'm not quitting until I'm done. Amen. <laughs> Some of us hang our hat up. Life's not over, okay? Over 50, amen? For those over 50, amen? It's not over. God has more. You know, Moses didn't step into what he did until he was 80, amen? Now, that's pretty old, but God bless you. I used to say forever, I'm going to live till I'm 90. I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, if you got all your mental faculties, your physical, you're not, you know, all right, but wow, that's a long time. Anyhow, better stay on track here. The enemy comes in in this area. I'm convinced. When he creates all kinds of havoc in our brains to fill us with anxiety. You know, there's this anxiety myth, and this was really part of my life, and I have to, I have to fight this off. Watch this. It's, it's this. If I don't worry, my dreams won't stay on track. Come on. Because if you worry about it, it's, it's, it's going to help it, right? Right. <clears throat> what a weight to carry. Amen, church? What a burden to carry. What an anxiety to place upon you. But, but the enemy uses that. You've got to worry about this. You've got to worry, you know, as you get the kids when they're real little and they get sick and you don't want them to get injured. You've got to worry about that. And then you, the enemy gets you to worry that, okay, and they go into school. How is it? They're going to have friends at school. So you've got to worry about that. Come on, parents. And, and you know, then they get into high school. Are they going to get with the right crowd? Are they going to with the wrong crowd? Oh, God. And so we worry. And then they, you become empty nesters. You think your worries are over. No. There's a whole new set. Oh, God, the person they're dating right now, are they the right person? And, oh, you know, Lord, remove that person from their life and bring in the right. Come on, are you with me? I've been through all of that. Worry. <clears throat> if I don't worry about my dreams, they won't stay on track. You know, someone once said, sorry looks back, worry looks around, but faith looks up. Hey, Amen. 
<clears throat> I like this about worry. It says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. I tell you, that has been so true in my life many, many times. Regretfully, I say that. Worrying about things. I don't need to worry about it. Causing my expectation to go kind of, you know, in reverse mode. And fear, fill. Rick Warren, pastor, said this. The more you pray, the less you panic. The more you worship, the less you worry. That's why when we come into worship here, we shouldn't be kind of be dragging a ball of chain. Come on, curse shouldn't have to. We should enter in, okay? I love this little gal here. She just, she just freely dances. I went, hallelujah, there's some expression going on. Someone, someone's worshiping God, amen? I mean, there's times I've taken off and I've run across the stage, run around the church. Some of you go, oh my God, that just freaks me out. Hey, listen, in the right time, under the anointing, in the right moment, it's right. Amen? I'm not saying we just do things for the sake of doing things. Praise God. But let me just talk about this quickly here and then we'll receive communion. Anxiety in our brain. Anxiety in our brain. Now, I'm not a brain master here, but some things I've studied a little bit here, I think, to help when we're talking about expectation. Cognitive neuroscience is the study of the brain and the science of anxiety. Over the last few decades, scientists have discovered that the part of the brain responsible for, watch this, thinking ahead is called the prefrontal cortex, okay? And unfortunately, doctors figured this out the hard way. Back in the 1940s and the 50s, there was a popular surgery called a lobotomy. How many have ever heard of that? It's horrible. <laughs> lobotomy actually is called soul surgery or psychosurgery. It is estimated between 50 and 100,000 patients were lobotomized in the United States. It is a crazy surgery, if you've seen it. It is horrible. And basically... <laughs> How many remember when, you know, the, the, when your wife, come on men, uh, was given birth and the man had to not be in the room, he had to be outside, but when the baby was born, they give cigars? Yeah, I kind of, they would do that when, when we, were, we were first born and my dad get cigar and because he couldn't be in there. And so, because why? He could contaminate that room and only sterile people could be in there. Listen, man, if you're not in the room with your wife giving birth, you're going to have a head roll. You got to be right there today. I mean, you better be in there. He's come. I remember my son, Zach, uh, Rhonda was pushing. I'll be discreet here, love. And... <laughs> Three and a half hours. And all I'm thinking is, oh God, he's Italian. His nose is hung up. He's so big. His nose is so big, he can't come out. Because you know, you want your kid to look, you know, oh, he's so cute. Or like, oh yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> come on, you're with me. And I'm thinking, his poor nose, oh my God. He came out with a beautiful nose. He didn't have my nose. But he was sunny side up. See, and so it took a lot of, but I was right there. He's coming, he's coming. He's like, no, he's not. I mean, <laughs> so anyhow, things have changed, all right? So, so doctors, Dow, after our lobotomy, um, doctors would strategically sever that part of the brain and people who suffered with extreme anxiety. If they had depression, schizophrenia, I mean, schizophrenia, that there was a famous case back in 1941, Rosemary Kennedy, uh, she was 23, and, and her dad, Joe, had her lobotomized. I don't even think most of the family members knew that that was going to take place, but she had some birth complications and, and, and had tremendous anxiety in her life. And so they figured this is what she should have. She should be lobotomized, and it affected her negatively. So after... 
severing, now watch, is the connection in the brain, which they would use a surgical knife, in which really, oh, so horrible, is an ice pick. It took about 10 minutes, right up in here, and they would scramble part of that prefrontal cortex of the brain. They noticed that the people became super relaxed. Some of you are thinking, sign me up. <laughs> but hold that thought. <laughs> Ironically, the medical experts didn't foresee a significant side effect to the operation. Once surgeons disconnected this part of the brain, none of the patients could plan for the future. Interesting. So yes, they worried less, but if you asked them, what do you want to do tomorrow? What would you like to do? They'd go blank. They couldn't think about tomorrow, just the moment that they were in. Super relaxed. So it's like trying to tell somebody, I want you to think right now about infinity. Um, we don't have as humans the capacity to infinity on and on and to think about that and imagine that. Well, in the same way, when lobotomy patients were asked to plan their vacation next week, next month, they simply could not wrap their minds around it, which this gruesome yet powerful revelation was this. And this is what I want to talk about. Anxiety comes from the same part of the brain that helps us think about the future, expectation. You think, wow, that's our imagination. So that means we can expect positive things or negative things, and it's going to affect our brains. How many with me say amen? So, so when you think about the future, and you, you, you feel out of control, maybe there's fearful things, negative, disastrous things, that causes you to feel anxious. It's the same part of the brain for imagination. In other words, the ability that makes us unique among all other creatures is the same brain function that causes us to feel anxious. Wow. Or if you could frame it in a biblical text, to imagine the future without the complete security of our Heavenly Father is terrifying. That's so true. That's such a comfort for us to know that no matter what we're faced with, that we have a Heavenly Father. Heaven is our home. Amen? Not hell. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise God. So after sin entered into the world, we lost that intimacy, which means that very organ that enabled us to dream can now torture us. God didn't plan it that way. That's because of the fall. And if we don't take charge of our thoughts, let me say that again for many of you missed it. If we don't take charge of our thoughts, I'll say it one more time over here. If we don't take charge of our thoughts, the enemy will. I'm preaching real good, but you're not responding to this cold morning. I'm almost done. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Although anxiety comes from thinking about the future, God the Father does not want us to be anxious. Unless, of course, we deny him and his ways, then you have reason to be anxious. But for the Christian, and I've suffered with this for many years of my life, and just, you know, walk around, can't even relax. You know what I mean? Some people, just, you need to just sit down and relax. They got to get up. They got to keep, keep going. And why? What's going on? What are you thinking? It's something programmed in your mind that you have to do something constantly because if you don't and you're not in control, then everything's going to fall apart. That's a lie. I said that's a lie. God has your rear guard. <laughs> the things that you've messed up, screwed up, he brought you through. Can I get an amen? You're still here today, aren't you? You thought you would go under. You thought you wouldn't make it. You thought you'd be divorced. You're still together. Can I get an amen? That was a good time for you men to shout amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
For the Christian, we have a bright future. Stand with me if you would, please. Hallelujah. <clears throat> a bright future, a hope. Love this verse in Jeremiah. This is what God says. God is saying, for I know the plans. God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. Church for the Harvest members, individuals, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. God's plans for your life is to bless you, not curse you. Amen. He doesn't have tragedy. Well, what about this, pastor? What about that? You know what? Stuff happens. We live in a fallen world. But even with that, God will carry you through. He will carry you through. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God is not out to get you. Someone needed to hear that. Plans to give you what? A hope in the future. So we need to get rid of all this negativity. And, and let me just encourage some of you that are on doomsday and all you feed on is doomsday stuff and end of times. You need to, you need to get off that diet. Amen. Amen. You get on the diet of hope in a future, God's blessing. Listen, just this past year in America, unemployment went down from, you know, 6% down to 4.5%. It might get down to 3.5%. Whole segments in our nation are gaining more uh, affluence and more money and resources. I mean, we can praise God for some good things happening in our country. Amen? Amen? I don't mean that to be a political statement. I'm just saying this is a fact, you know, looking back. Hallelujah. Lamentations 3, 21 and 23 says this. Yet this I call to mind. Therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles. I have to remind myself of that when I'm going through things. I just think of my light and momentary troubles. It's light and it's momentary. You may think it's just there and it's going on and on and on. You know what? They were in the wilderness for 40 years, but 40 years ended. <laughs> they came out to the promised land. There is an end. Amen? There is an end and there's a new beginning. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. What is the Lord saying? Because since that which is seen is temporary. It's temporary. It's going to come to pass. I said it'll come to pass. It's temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What you're about in the kingdom of God and your faith and the local church, it's eternal. It lasts forever and ever. Romans 8, 18 says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. There is a glory God is going to reveal in and through our lives. If we just hang on, stay faithful, stay moving forward, amen? You know, uh, interesting illustration here about having a life and having all your expectations in hope just stripped from you, stripped from you, was a man named Stephen Hawking. Many of you heard him. Stephen Hawking, he's an astrophysicist at Cambridge University perhaps one of the most intelligent men on earth. He's a brilliant man. He has advanced the general theory of relativity further than any person since Albert Einstein. Unfortunately, Hawking has, is afflicted with ALS syndrome, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's eventually, it's gonna take his life. He has been confined to a wheelchair for years when he can do little more than just sit and think. Hawking has lost the ability even to speak. 
And now he communicates by means of a computer that is operated from the tiniest movement of his fingertips. Wow. Quoting from an Omni Magazine article, it says he is too weak to write, to feed himself, to comb his hair, to fix his glasses. All this must be done for him, but watch this. Yet this most dependent of all men has escaped invalid status. His personality shines through the messy details of his existence. Hawkins said that before he became ill, he had very little interest in life. He called it a pointless existence, resulting from sheer boredom. He drank too much. He did very little work. Then he learned he had ALS syndrome and was not expected to live more than two years. The ultimate effect of that diagnosis, beyond its initial shock, was extremely positive. He claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than before. How can we understand that? I can't, it's like hard to wrap your brain around it. Why? Because watch, Hawkins says this. Whoops. When one's expectations are reduced to zero, he said, one really appreciates everything that one does have. Amen? Every head bowed, please. It's stated another way. Contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. That's why having expectation, a heart of expectation, is so important, church. Hence this series. I want to just challenge us here as we're ready to receive communion. And specifically, when I talked about a future being terrifying, those who don't know Christ... The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is a great day for you to receive expectation and hope in your life. Maybe you've come here this morning and you don't have that assurance of salvation and you just have, well, I hope I make it. God said these things are written in his book that you may know you have eternal life. God wants you to know. He wants you to know. So how do I know, Pastor? That eludes me. I, I want to know, and I'm fearful of that. You don't have to be fearful. You can be filled with faith right now if you pray to receive Christ. See, it's a free gift. You have to receive it. And you do that by confession with your mouth and receiving and surrendering your life to Christ. If that's you and you're here this morning and maybe watching by television, pray this prayer with me as we pray corporately. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Take it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.